City Church, so glad you are carving out some time uh, to gather with us around God's Word. Um, Come with me to the final chapter uh, of Romans, Romans chapter 16. Uh, We're going to dive in today. Uh, We're bringing to an end uh, our time in the book of Romans for now. And so let's come to Romans chapter 16. uh, I want to begin reading at verse 17. And uh, here's what Paul says as, as he closes out his letter. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles, contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Allow your eyes to drop down to verse 25. And Paul says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's bow our heads, church, for prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you for your grace, for your mercy. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this time. God, we pray that in the same way we've We've pushed away some other things so that we could be here now. Lord, we pray that you would come in to our hearts, invade invade our soul, invade our mind, invade our lives. God, that we might be renewed by your word, by the Holy Spirit, that we might be transformed. Every time we come into your presence is an opportunity, Lord, for us to be shaped and molded into the image of Christ. We want that, Lord. So God, now we, we lean in and we pray, God, that you would move in this time. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Well, before we get into chapter 16, Paul closes out chapter 15 with, with another final reminder that the plan of God has always been to include the Gentiles. If you go back and you look at chapter 15 towards the ending, Paul is really highlighting Just what he says in chapter 16, he's highlighting the prophetic writings of the Old Testament that were pointing to what God was doing and God's plan all along. I think this is important for us to to make sure our minds are, are centered on. Salvation was not a new idea to God. It didn't just come about when Christ entered into the scene. It didn't come about in just the Roman church or the Galatian church or the church in Philippi. It wasn't a new idea, but this was part of God's plan that he had been working all along. And then chapter 16, as he begins it, you you see where he kind of gives his shout outs. Paul is is saying what's up to like all the homies in in the house churches. Uh, I I like to read this in in, in our time here together. For me, these are kind of like the original, you know, church at homes. They they were the house churches. And, And Paul is making sure that the churches at large that would read this letter. You may not know this, but letters like this, they would, 
not just go to maybe one house church, but they would kind of circulate and find their way kind of in a particular region. And so what Paul's wanting to do is to help people understand a couple things. One, that you might be meeting in a house church over here, and and maybe Phoebe is the one that's kind of leading and guiding and shepherding that area. And then maybe Priscilla and Aquila, they're kind of overseeing another area. And Paul wants us to understand that all of these churches are connected. But even in his sort of hellos and in his greetings, what he is showing us is that the unity that he's been talking about now for the entire book, but really honing on in this sort of last um, last third of the, of the letter to this church, he, he not only teaches on it, he not only encourages it, but he also highlights when it's being practiced. You see the list of names. You see Jews and Gentiles leading in the church. You see men and women leading in the church. It's important for us for, for, for many reasons. On a lot of fronts, there have been people who have struggled with the idea of women being in leadership and women in shepherding positions. Let me just say this to you. I have never had that concern. I've never kind of had any, any issues with the, the idea that, that women can lead and women can shepherd and pastor and that are called by God. I'm grateful for the tradition that I have come from because it's allowed me to embrace that at a very early age. I was able to see a mom active in church, my dad active in church. But what I love here is that Paul to the Roman church highlights the women that are leading and shepherding and guiding. Please know this throughout church history. Ladies, if it had not been for you, the church would have died. It has been women throughout church history that have gone to the forefront who have shouldered the responsibility and the weight and have declared the goodness of God. Please be reminded that it is women that were the first to carry the good news gospel message of Christ resurrected from the tomb on Easter morning. Paul shouts them out during their house churches. He says, thank you so much for the work that you've been done. But then he gets to this part in, in 16 that we looked at today. And he gives them sort of three warnings that I want us to be aware of. The first one is it's a warning of vigilance. The second is a a warning for, for separation. In other words, he says this, he says, watch out. He says, watch out for division, watch out for obstacles. And but what he's also clear on is that it is people who will create the division and it's people that will create the obstacles. Paul wants the church to be well aware that from time to time, they're going to have to deal with people whose motivation is not the benefit and the betterment of the body and in service to Christ, but it is their own appetite. It is their own desire to see things as the way they want to be seen. What Paul says to this church is, is watch out for them. Watch out for those that are creating division. Another way that you can think of division is being actively against unity. You are working against the unity in the body. You oppose or you're offering different teaching. Paul says this, if it's different than the doctrine, than the gospel that you've received, So this letter here to this church, he says, if it goes against what you've received, be aware. Be aware of people that take 
the non-essentials and make them matters of commandments where they'll highlight one. False teaching often looks like this, where one thing is extrapolated out, it's highlighted, and it's elevated above all things, and now you have to conform to that. What Paul says is don't don't fall for that. He says watch out. Watch out for those that might be bringing a gospel or a doctrine that is different than what you received. He says, be careful that they're not attacking unity. Be be careful that they're not offering something that may sound good. Paul even understands that more often than not, when you and I are deceived by a person, that person's probably incredibly charismatic. They're probably incredibly passionate. I learned this a long time ago. Just because you are the loudest in the room doesn't mean you're right. Just because you have passion doesn't mean your purpose is perfect. You see, for us, what we would need to understand in our church community is that we don't rest on charisma. We don't rest on sort of extraordinary, like, you know, outlandish sort of behavior to determine what we think is right or sound. We hold fast to the scriptures. Yeah, you can be passionate, but be passionate in alignment with the scriptures. Don't bend them for your own advantage. Don't dilute them so you don't have to be accountable to them. In reality, what he says is unity for so many chapters has been important to Paul. And now he highlights, if you're not careful, here's one way that unity can be broken down. And I wanna wanna speak to unity for a second. We, We live in a culture that it's very, very easy for us to get lost in this idea of unifying everything and everyone. What Paul is talking about is unity within the body, meaning this, we strive for unity first with those that are in Christ. With those that are in Christ, there's where we need to have unity. Of course, there is not going to be unity between light and darkness. Of course, there's not gonna be unity for the worshipers of God and the worshipers of Baal. You see this language throughout the scriptures. And unfortunately, most of us in our culture, if we're not careful, we'll fall into some sort of rhythm where we'll strive for unity with everyone, and in doing so, we'll no longer have unity in Christ. Unity in Christ means that I am under Christ as the secondary part of maturing. The prerequisite of unity is to be in Christ, and then sort of that like main course is that we now come under the lordship of Christ. Those who are in and under Christ, this is who we're striving to have unity with. What Paul understands is what you and I have got to get into our hearts, into our souls. That if the church can demonstrate and show unity, then we can begin to influence culture. Culture cannot be what we're striving to be unified with and hoping that that seeps into the church. That is top side down. What the, what the God of the universe calls us into is relationship with him and into one another. We're in Christ. We're under Christ. He says, watch out for people that are creating division. Watch out for people that are putting obstacles in your way, meaning this, barriers between people and Jesus. And one of the things I want our church to always be known for is we make it easy to find Jesus but we don't offer a cheap grace. 
that we're not putting up barriers and restrictions for people to come and find Jesus, but we are also not diluting the sacrifice that Christ made so that you and I might be freed. For us to see grace as cheap is to lose, is to lose the reverence for what Christ has done in our life. We're not going to put barriers in the way of people coming to Jesus but we're also not gonna pretend that coming to Jesus does not require transformation. It requires transformation for all of us in every area of our life. When Christ bids us to come, friends, he bids us to come and die. We're not putting barriers and blockages between people and Jesus, but we're also going to declare the truth, the sound doctrine, that Christ bids us to come and he bids us to come and die so that we might live afresh and anew in him. Friend, listen to me. If you have not seen transformation in your life since coming to Christ, then I want to challenge you that you may have come upon an idea of Jesus, but you may not be in Christ or under Christ. To be in those places is to see your thought life transformed. It is to see your emotions transformed. It is to see your passions and your desires transformed. I'm not saying that you're not going to struggle. I'm not saying that you're not going to lose, you're not going to have humanity. What I am saying though is you will be renovated from the inside out and you will be continuing this process of maturing and becoming like. Christ, this is what it means to be a disciple. False teaching can creep in and offer us a cheap grace that says that you don't have to transform and you don't have to die so that Christ may live in you. May we never embrace that kind of message. May we never also be tricked into these ideas that would destroy our unity, where we would take things that are non-essential and highlight them as a way of manipulating and maneuvering people for our benefit, for our gain. Now, here's the thing that we've got to be careful when we read passages of Scripture like this. We read these hard words, talks about false teachers, talks about beware, talks about, it, it talks about kind of separation from them, don't have anything to do with them. If we're not careful, here's the first thought that will come to mind. Oh, that's so-and-so. Oh, I remember when I was younger, I came across somebody and they were just like this. Let me give you an exercise in Christian maturity. Read yourself into this passage and ask yourself the hard questions. Have there ever been moments in your life where you were a part of not cultivating unity have there ever been moments in your life where you were creating barriers for yourself to come to Christ or for others to come to Christ? You see, it's easy for us to enter into the story as the hero. Please, friend, don't read the scriptures and read the stories of Jesus and see yourselves in the narratives as Christ. But, but read with the humility and ask the Holy Spirit, where am I in this text? Holy Spirit, reveal to me what you what you are saying to me, not just looking for who I can attach this to. 
The Bible says that we're to watch out. There's a vigilance that's required. The second thing it says is that we've got to have a sense of separation, that, that those that are cultivating this type of behavior, this is a harsh word, but it's a scriptural, a biblical word that Paul gives them. He says, listen, don't have anything to do with them. This is different than us pursuing those that are outside of the family of God, bringing them into a place of the family of God. What Paul's talking about is those that have been in the family of God and they know better. And now they are at work with beginning to offer false doctrine. They're beginning to break apart unity. They're beginning to have this sense of obstacles being placed. Paul says, don't have anything to do with them. Depart from those that are offering you something different than the faith that has been founded and handed to you from the apostles. Then the next thing he talks about is this sense of, of having discernment. I've said this to you before, but one of the things that I pray for every day is discernment. I always pray this for myself. I pray this over my kids every day. God, give me wisdom and favor with God and man. Give me discernment in my comings and my goings. Give me a sense of where you are. What's your activity? I love the way that Paul phrases this in this text. He says, that your obedience is known to all. In other words, people are seeing your life and it's pointing to the God of heaven and earth. So much of the last couple of chapters, Paul's pulling from kind of the message and the teachings of Jesus. I said this before, I'm not sure if Paul was aware of the writings, but I love the fact that Paul has such an encounter with Christ he, he, he has this in him, whether he's read the writings or not. He's hearkening back to when Jesus says, let your, let your light shine before men so that they would see your good works and they would give glory and honor to the Father who is unseen, to the Father who is in heaven. What Paul's saying to this church is the people in your life, they're seeing your obedience. And Paul, as their spiritual father, as their pastor says, I see it too and I'm proud of you. But then he goes one step further as Paul does. And really as any good leader or mentor in your life and mine will, they will highlight the distance between where you started and where you've come. They'll celebrate that. But then they're gonna provide you a, a sort of challenge and charge not to rest easy where you are, but also see that there's places for you to grow. He says, I want you to have this discernment. I want there to be a, an ability to distinguish, be wise to what is good, and then be innocent to what is evil. But there's a phrase that I want to embrace in my life, and I'm going to invite you to do the same. God, help me to be wise to what is good, and then to be found innocent and blameless to what is evil. God, help us to grow in this. Help us to grow in this way. John, John Stott, wonderful thinker, has this to say kind of around this passage. He says there's three questions that we can ask in dealing with doctrine and ethics. And, and I think these are, are wonderful to put in practice. And the first one he says is this, does this agree with scripture? When you're, something's going on in your life, you're engaged in something, you're, you come upon a decision, here's a great lens for this. We're thinking about doctrine. We're thinking about ethics. This is a wonderful thing to think through. Does it agree with scripture? The Holy Spirit, friend, will never tell you to do something that is contrary to scripture. The Holy Spirit would never, ever do that. 
So again, the way to know God's voice is to know God's word. Does it agree with scripture? The second thing, does it glorify the Lord? Does it bring honor and glory to God? And then the third, does it promote goodness? I love that test. The first two we kind of get, we've heard a lot in our life, but does it promote goodness? And this goes back to what Paul says to the church. People are seeing your life. Man, I just want to take a moment and I want to encourage you because some of you, you've been building a good name. You've been fighting for integrity. You've been working to the best of your ability to do it with a high ethical standard, to be integrous with your dealings. You've been kind when people have been less than kind. And I want to encourage you, keep going. Don't stop. Because people see your life and it is a testament to God. Let everything that you do, let everything that I do in word and in deed bring honor to God. Why? Because they're watching and it's pointing them to a God that's unseen. Please don't underestimate the effectiveness that your life is having, friends. Keep going. Keep at it. And then we drop down to verse 25. Paul ends this letter with just a beautiful, beautiful line. He says, now to him who's able. Now to him who is able. Now to him who is able. In other words, God has been working behind the scenes all along. He's been working all of this out. That's the message in Romans. In the very beginning of the text, he highlights back to the garden where the serpent's head is going to be crushed. And now we end this text with that same idea, the reminder from the garden to the empty graveside tomb, God has been at work. Don't forget for a moment, friends, that the God that you and I are serving, the God that you and I are following, that he alone is able. Whenever you get weary, whenever you get tired, bring your, back, your, your life back to this text. Now to him who is able to strengthen you. Are you weary today? Do you need strength? Do you need an encouragement? He says, according to the gospel preaching of Jesus Christ, he says throughout the prophetic stories and the books and the oration that's taken place, he says that the obedience of faith is what is the result of those things. Obedient faith is what God is calling us to. Now to him who is able, now to him who is able to strengthen you, to him who's able to lead you in a way where your faith can be demonstrated through obedience. He then says to the only wise God, Paul's very, very familiar at the time and place that he is writing this in, that there are gods, small g, and an s. There are different philosophical patterns and thoughts that people are aspiring to and adopting. There are all types of things swimming around them, inviting them to trust, inviting them to place their faith in, costing them more than the, the sticker price is, stating and Paul makes this incredibly strong, powerful statement that should be a profession in our life. 
to the only wise God. Be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. And church, here's how I want us to close our series in Romans. Usually I'll say grace and peace and we're done or I'll give a benediction and we're done. But today our benediction is gonna come from Paul's words to the Roman church. He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit in you may abound in hope. Grace and peace, friends. We love you so much.